A few months ago, web search led me to 2y3x.com. It's a site about growth acceleration, and I was hooked. I read every word on every page, and there were a few videos on the site that I watched as well. Felix Velarde is the creative genius behind 2y3x, and I was so captivated by his message, I wanted to interview him right away. I mean, on the spot. I did send out an email. I got a message back from a team member stating that a book was soon to be released. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. That That's pay dirt. So I waited for the book to be released. I read it, documented my notes, and I was able to secure an interview with this engaging thought leader. But he's more than a thought leader. He's been a CEO six times So he knows what he's talking about. And if you like the writing of Vern Harnish, you'll love the growth message of Felix Velarde. I'm Mark Gandy. This is CFO Bookshelf. Our interview with the author of Scale at Speed is coming up next. Felix Velarde has an interesting background that started well before he became a CEO several times over. And that's where we pick up in this conversation. Uh, <laughs> um, I started out as a uh, working in bars and then uh, as a salesperson. And, um, you know, it took me a while to find my feet. I, when I started my agency career, so, so I, uh, my very first business was a publishing business. And I got ripped off by a business partner who ran away with the money, which, is, which, which, which was a big learning experience. And then I had... I was around right at the beginning of the World Wide Web and more or less by accident started one of the first web design companies in 1994, which was uh, not long after the web got switched on. And uh, that I, my first business were, became very famous for being a creative agency. I then, uh, my partner and I decided that we wanted to go in different directions. So I started a new business that one became the digital arm of what's now Mullin Low Profero, part of Interpublic, as its first serious digital offering. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've made every mistake that you can possibly make running agencies and startups. I have screwed it up, you know, along with the best of them. So I think in the end, I had six agencies. Three of them were very good agencies and were successful. Uh, and I was CEO of an agency group, which was a, a very loose kind of 12-agency uh, uh, network. And then I retired after 22 years of being, you know, uh, an agency CEO and chairman. You're way too young to be retired. I'm looking at you right <laughs> now. I was like, this guy's young. <laughs> Uh, I want to to mention, now that I've embarrassed you, I want to mention the other story in the introduction. I thought you could not have teed it up any better as hiking up into the mountains. And point number one, point number two, I'm going to be quiet like you fill in the blanks. I thought that was phenomenal, just getting that set up for the goals you're going to be addressing in the book, Scale at Speed. Yeah, it was, it's, it's always nice to be able to, to encapsulate these things as a story or frame these things as a story. And, and this was a real, it was a true experience. Um, 
uh, a few years ago, I'd really, really wanted to go and see the Himalayas. I think everybody wants to go and see Everest, right? And uh, I live in the United Kingdom, and so it's only halfway around the world for me. And so I had planned to go to, to, to Nepal and do some trekking. And yeah, it was this amazing experience that I had with these guides who took me on this journey up a hill. I, I say a hill, two and a half thousand meter hill. And the way that they did it was beautiful. They, they broke it down into small kind of inspiring little steps. It was, it was right, we're going to walk for an hour. You're going to see a lovely view. We're going to walk for an hour. There's going to be a tree filled with birds. You're going to walk for an hour. You're going to, we're going to see the paddy fields. And then we're going to have a meal at a, um, a local person's family home and then, you know, and so on and so forth. And we, they took us on this amazing, perfectly paced journey. Now, the, bearing in mind that this was my first time and by the end of it, I was absolutely, my, I couldn't move my legs. I was sweating profusely. I was almost immobile by the end of this long day. And they've obviously done, they do this trek every day, day in, day out. So they've done it a million times. They knew what was waiting for me at the top. But they did not try and motivate me by saying, get to the top, get to the top, in a kind of gung-ho kind of way. What they did was they broke it down into what's the next thing. So I knew I wanted to get to the top of this hill so I could see Fishtail Mountain and Annapurna South, which is one of the world's greatest views, by the, by the way. And by the time I got there, it was astonishing. But they got me there by actually turning it into a series of small journeys that in themselves were motivating. And I thought that was brilliant, Felix. Well, it's, uh, I, I, all, I, all I'm doing is repeating their story, to be honest. But at the time, I was running a CRM agency and a, a CRM strategy company. And CRM is about breaking things down into customer journeys. And then by the time that I finished that career and I became uh an advisor and i put together the 2y3x program which is a growth acceleration program and it just made perfect sense to to we know what the goal is uh and yet we want to break it down to make it so that it's inspiring and challenging and attractive to the people who are going to go on that amazing journey before we get into the book, Skelet Speed, I just want to call out, I, I want to give you a big high five. You mentioned Edwin Locke in the book, and I just want to give you a high five because you don't hear that name very often. And had, had you been familiar with him? Have you, have you read some of his writing? Uh, this, I mean, when you think of smart goals, that's the first person I think of, but his name is, is I think he's become a forgotten name uh, in today's business era. And yet he's instrumental in it. I've been interested in how you grow companies for many, many years. I mean, the first half of my entrepreneurial career was trial and error and repeated failure and hitting the same business plateaus over and over again because I didn't know how to get through them. I didn't know what the causes were and I didn't know uh, how you take it, how you get to the other side and, and elevate the company that you're, you're leading. And so I got, in, I got really uh, interested in the idea that companies repeat, tend to 
get to a certain level and then they try and grow another 10% or another 20%. It becomes incremental. Incremental. And the problem with incremental is you feel like you ought to be able to achieve it. And so you don't make that much effort to get there. And certainly your team doesn't because it's like, oh, it's 20%. Yeah, we'll get there. All we have to do is win two more clients or three more clients. And then the problem with 10 or 20% growth is you're within the margin for error if you know, if, if a side wind comes along and blows you slightly off track or you lose a big client or your planning director resigns or, you know, something like that, right? Uh, in my case, this is the first time that really happened was when the dot-com bubble burst and took down my, at the time, the world's most awarded digital agency. It flattened it in the matter of three months. There was nothing I could do about it. And it was because I hadn't been ambitious enough. I hadn't laid the groundwork to really um, give myself safety nets and safety margins and to grow at speed. And, and scaling at speed takes momentum. And momentum requires big, hairy, audacious goals, as Jim Collins describes it in right. uh, the masterwork, Good to Great. Edwin Locke's theory of goal-setting theory, which is where Jim Collins stole, if you like, or borrowed big, hairy, audacious goals from. Um, it basically says the more challenging the goal, the more likely you are to step up to achieve it. And, and you can boil that down in the way that we've done it with Scale at Speed and with the 2Y3X programs. We've boiled it down to say, listen, if it's a, if it's a, a, a modest goal, you'll kind of assume that you're going to get there or hope that you're going to get there. And you might work quite hard on a bit of new business and you might get there. If you set an audacious goal, you have no option but to write a plan to get there. And any plan is better than no plan. And if you follow the plan, then you are likely to get there or somewhere near it. So you might as well set a lofty goal. My company, 2Y3X, two years, three times growth. We, we set ourselves the goal of tripling revenue because it's enough to challenge everybody concerned to figure out how they're going to do it. And if you figure out how you're going to do it, you've got half a chance of making it. One last thing on Edward Locke before we move on. Hmm. I did not know this, and you laid this out very clearly. Goal-setting performance related to the proximity of the goal. I was not aware of that concept. I, I've, I've read his, I have a couple of his books and just the whole concept of proximity to the goal. That mm. makes a lot of sense. Could you explain that real quickly? Um, uh, I know uh, Edwin Locke is a, uh, a forthcoming guest of yours. Yes, he show. is. Yes. So, so I apologize, Edwin, in advance. I am a huge fan. I am just about to, to completely destroy the, arti the proper articulation. Of I don't the think you will, Felix. <laughs> um, but the, at its most basic, a, a goal needs to be far enough away that it's not intimidating and close enough that you can see it clearly. And the way that I look at it is, if you think about it in perspective terms, a really, really big goal held at arm's length feels reasonable. It's a bit like when you, you hold a, a nickel up to the, to the moon, right? Um, the moon is far enough away for it not to be overwhelming. So a goal needs to be far enough away 
that it's not overwhelming, but close enough that its detail is uh, easily held in mind. And that, if you if you then set intermediate goals that are smaller but are closer to you, then it all kind of lines up. And what you really want is to be able to just about to see the whole of the road ahead of you. Yeah, not from above, but in a kind of linear. Um, sort of progressive one little step at a time fashion, which again refers back to this breaking the big journey down into little steps. Three years versus five years. We're going to be on the same page, but I still want to bring up the question. Mm. Dan Sullivan, uh, the strategic coach, he has what's called the R-level question, which I think is one of the most incredible questions I've ever heard. If you and I were talking three years from now, looking back, what it would take for you and I, for you to feel happy with your progress. Dan, and I'll paraphrase, the reason he uses three years is because it's the year after next. So you could have said, I want this to be over five years, but you've mm-hmm. purposely three years. Is that, is that why? Mainly because of the influence of, of Edwin Locke? Uh, no, it's it's practical and it's based on experience, actually. Um, five years is quite a long way away and it's far enough away for you to say, do you know what? The world might change. I might change. Five years time. I might have three children. I might have moved country. Uh, we might have had a global pandemic. Uh, I might have changed career and become a chef. Five years is a long time. It's a it's 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 a life chunk, right? Whereas three years is, do you know what? I can, I can tough it out for three years. I can give it the energy that it deserves for three years. I'm still going to be in this job, in this company, in this life, in this relationship, in this country, in this situation for three years. And I can hold my attention for three years. And a lot of what I do and a lot of what the book is based on is gathering a team of people, really capable superstar people together in order to deliver a set of goals over two and three years. And we can, we can more or less predict that that team will still be together just about by the end of three years. They won't have got sick of the sight of each other. They won't have fragmented because too many of them have changed their life circumstances uh, and we'll still have this coherent team. You set that at five years uh, the, the the likelihood of it still having coherence becomes vanishingly small. Great, great point. So let's jump into the book. And I want to say one more thing about the book itself. This is not just for creative agencies. Any professional services firm is going to gain a great deal of value out of this book, even, even e-commerce. So, so this book applies to any industry agree yeah i mean at its heart it's based on principles that were developed by far smarter people than me like edwin Locke, like jim collins like Vern harnish in scaling up like the balanced scorecard by uh kaplan and norton um all of these principles none of these principles were designed around creative agencies i you know things like the execution roadmap that was designed for a pharmaceutical company so it's it's the, the, the principles are universal principles of pacing and uh, integration and buy-in and good management. 
just put into a framework that makes it terribly easy to implement and to hold and, and, and to, to hold people together around uh, vision. So all of the principles behind it are borrowed from from other people. I my own background just happens to be digital and tech startups and creative agencies, and probably sixty percent of the companies that I've chaired have been creative agencies of one sort or another or digital companies. Um, but my colleagues are from all sorts of, you know, two Y three X. We've got consultants now all over the world. We've got them in Canada and the US and Middle East and all over Europe. Uh, they're in social impact, virtual reality, engineering. And they cover all sorts of different things, product development, um, because actually the principles hold true uh, with some finessing every now and again. You know, sort of your staff cost to gross profit ratio may change if you go from a service business to a SaaS business, for example. But, but other than that, the general principles apply to any business. You said it once, but I want to hear it again, 2Y3X. Could you again say, what does that mean? I know what it is, but I want to just make sure, make sure, define where does that come from? What does it mean? So 2Y3X. So I spent my entire career with agencies trying to find the perfect boxed product, right? And I also spent my entire career uh, in service industries, wishing that my business was aligned with our clients' requirements. And they never were. You know, it was the client would give us the budget. We'd go off and do something creative. We'd have to fight the client to to get them to accept it. And then everybody would win. But it wasn't a lie. And then when I started putting together the Growth Acceleration Program, what, six six years ago properly, um, I I was looking for a way of describing this this idea of what is it that you actually deliver and how are you going to make it aligned with uh, what the customer wants. And 2Y3X was came straight out of our experience. Two years, it's a two-year program. 3X, three times revenue. Now, at the time, we couldn't claim that we did three times revenue universally in the two years. We did have a 100% record of doubling people's revenue. Incredible. And every now and again, we tripled revenue. This all went out of the window at, uh, during COVID, obviously. So it's no longer our proposition but it remains our name and uh and i like it it's nice to have a boxed product that does what it says on the tin because it genuinely does i mean that clip that that type of growth is astronomical how a tough question Mm. maybe a hard answer but where is a lot of that growth coming from is it organic is it we're adding more staff people is it pricing is it it's not just cutting back on spending because most I, I i've worked a little bit with some creative agencies a lot of them are lean so it's not it's not about cost uh and nobody ever scaled by cutting back um, is, is, it, is it new products new services pricing i am I'm, I'm amazed at what you're doing so let me let me let me tell you why it kind of there's, there's this imperative logic to it most of the companies that we work with have hit a growth plateau they're at a growth barrier 
And the reason that there aren't that growth barrier is because what got you here won't get you there, right? Right. And the reason that that happens is because uh, at that sort of growth from one to two million, and then two million to three point six million, and then three point six to four million, um, the, the what happens is you get great people. They design really efficient and effective ways of delivering whatever it is to, you do to your customers and your clients, and for running the business. And those things scale to a certain point. Uh, let me give you an example. In a creative agency, uh, if you are doing, if you've got 12 clients and each of them is giving you uh, uh, $200,000 worth of revenue, then you're a couple of million dollar business. And that takes a series of processes. And over time, you optimize those processes. You bring in a person at the head of customer service of product delivery, of finance, and so on, and they optimize their little fiefdoms. If you want to get to 4 million, you're no longer going to be servicing 200 grand clients. You're going to be serving half a million dollar clients. That requires new processes, new ways of managing accounts, new ways of billing clients, new pricing models, new workflows. So that's all new. Now, you've already got a set of systems that works perfectly well headed up by people who've created these perfectly working systems and nobody wants to change them because why would you change something that works? Right. If you want to scale, you've got to design brand new stuff, new ways of doing things. You can't do that by looking backwards. And so part of it is about getting a superstar forward-looking team and motivating them properly, hence the goal setting and Edwin Locke. And part of them, part of it is about liberating them to to create new processes and systems, and then holding them to account while they they do the transition. And the 2Y3X program is all about that transition. And the reason it takes two years is because the first year is design. And the second year is watching the whole thing take off like a rocket. And the big insight that I had, actually there were several, this is not necessarily the senior leadership team that's executing this three-year plan, you have a different term and a different name mm. for this group. Can yeah. you give that? I'm going to let you be the one that gets to share <laughs> the name. I, I think it's phenomenal. I bet there might be a little pushback from some CEOs, but I love your idea of who's going to be doing the executing. Well, it's funny because you're right. You would think that, but I'll, I'll tell you why it doesn't happen like that. So the team is called the Growth Lab Team. GLT, reason, right. So the reason it's called the Growth Lab Team is, is to differentiate it from the senior management team. Senior managers are really good at managing senior stuff in a senior way, right? right? And they're the ones who have built and optimized the stuff that is in place already, the foundation, if you like. So the Growth Lab is this experimental forward-facing, we're going to design it from scratch. And... Uh, we found that the best combination of people, because usually there are five or six people on the growth lab team, plus the CEO, is to have you know 23-year-old that you know is going to be running their own company in five years' time, and the superstar from data, and you know the best people in the business who aren't precious about what's gone before, and they want to be involved in uh, identifying and ideating and realizing and bringing to life the future of the company. Now, interesting things that happened then 
you get new, fresh ideas. The CEO gets to work with the brightest and the best in the future, not the people who got them to this point, which is what makes it attractive for CEOs. But the team then takes ownership of uh, designing the new systems and then getting them implemented. And what happens then is the, the owner or the CEO is suddenly liberating, liberated from it just being their responsibility all the damn time to having a bunch of people who want to take responsibility for the future growth. That increases the CEO's bandwidth by five or six times and becomes this, oh, it's no longer stressful anymore. It's not my, you know, everybody else is helping shoulder the burden of how we get to the next level in our company. And that's where the joy is for me and for our consultants. That's the bit we always compare notes. It, usually between month six and nine, that's when that happens. And when we, we're every Wednesday uh, afternoon, the consultants or whoever's available come together and compare notes. And usually there's somebody just coming to that fruition point. And it's, uh, it's a moment of celebration. You and I both like Vern Harnish, his writing. Mm. However, I've never said this publicly, and I hope he's not listening. <laughs> The his first book, I actually like his first book better than the scaling up book, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. I, I think the book is is outstanding. But his one page plan, and, I, and I'm I'm looking at you to see if you're going to smile here. His one page plan also, along with the canvas that he has in scaling up, it almost looks like a bunch of manufacturing engineers got together to say, let's what would a plan look like. And your book is very visual. You've got a couple of canvases that I want to talk about, but I just thought, I just thought your canvas, your planning document, which is very fractal, is far easier to read and understand than Vern's. Feel free to push back, but I just I, like I, I, I okay, love so I, your. Go ahead. I. I, I I'll take that. Thank you very much indeed. But I will push back a little. Okay, go uh, ahead. Uh, scaling up is the masterwork. And when I was introduced to scaling, it was a bit like Blue Ocean Strategy. Yes. Right? It's incredibly complex and it takes eight reads to get it down. Yeah. And when, I, when I first read Scaling Up, it was like, oh, this is way too complicated. Don't understand it. Sixth time round, it's like, I get it. I get the whole thing. I don't have a thousand people in my organization to be able to do this, which is what it requires. It's, it's an enterprise level uh, scaling tool and it's phenomenal. It is the godlike masterwork, right? It's, it's the thing. And I don't operate in those kind of uh, elevated um, spheres. I'm, I'm, I operate in the kind of 2 million to 12 or maybe 15 million range where you might have 150 people or you might have 20 people and you need to be able to do things practically and easily and simply without meeting resistance. And so what I've done is, is basically take all of these amazing, these genius tools and systems and made them completely accessible for the kinds of people that I like working with and who I think we can help best because 
don't forget, you can't make change without buy-in. You can't change things from the top, right? One of the problems being a CEO is you run out of bandwidth telling other people how to do the stuff that's in your head. So the only way to do it is to get other people involved in the co-creation of the future. And the only way you can do that is by making it so simple that they get it first time round and then want to populate, want to fill in, want to colour in the pictures themselves. So, yeah, it's it's uh, none of us would be in the scaling business were it not for Vern. And uh, his, his books are genius. They're just not particularly accessible. <laughs> That's why I call your work your 2Y3X. And again, I'm using the term canvas. I love your visuals because they're elegant just such a simple solution. And by the way, someone who reads a hundred plus books a year, I don't necessarily, I can't tell that you're mimicking or copying because your footprint, your fingerprint rather is all over uh, the the writing, which by the way, this may be the hardest question. We we got theater of the mind going on here. Mm -hmm. So can you try to define that, that it's not a matrix, but you start out in the upper right-hand corner. Here's the three-year goal. And then you work backwards. And then you've got your five pillars across a Y and an X axis. I'm, not, I'm probably not defining it very well. Because again, <laughs> this really would be better, this, this be very, be better <laughs> visually. But I just thought that one pager, and I you, you documented this on your website before the book came out. And as I was observing this, I thought, he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. You've simplified what could be complicated, and I and now I know why. It goes back to that 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 mountain journey that you're describing at the very very beginning. You've broken this down into very simple steps. So jump in. Did I describe that map? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it, at its simplest, if you imagine a kind of a sun. Uh, with rays and the sun is in the top right hand corner of a piece of uh, horizontal piece of paper and you've got some rays coming out of it and the rays divide the page up into five different sections and each of those sections uh, in order is people uh, customers or clients sales and marketing business processes and then corporate and finance and so that that takes care of the rays the sun itself is your goals, you know, and I always advocate that we have a financial goal and a cultural goal and a, uh, a product or, or service positioning goal uh, because that keeps you honest. And then we just divide the whole page into using concentric um, lines coming out of the sun, sort of parallel to the sun, if you like, uh, to divide the page into three years, this year, next year, and the year after. And the way that the system works is having defined the goals in the top right-hand corner in the center of the sun, the, the, the nearest concentric circle is the third year. And all we have to do is figure out what are we doing in that third year in each of these five territories, people, right. customers, sales, and marketing, to make the goals come true at the end of that year. And once we've defined that, we then go through the year before that, yeah, year two, 
What are we doing in year two in order to make it possible to enter year three and achieve year three? And then we do the same for this year. What have we got to do this year? And with the Growth Lab team, we list out all of these tasks. You know, and these tasks are going to be things like come up with a risk register, design new workflows, uh, get rid of your seat players, uh, figure out which of your clients are profitable, figure out how you're going to do your new marketing strategy and so on. Usually about 18 or 20 different tasks that need to be done. If we've got five people on the Growth Lab team, that's one task per person per quarter. And that makes it terribly simple. And one of the tricks for getting buy-in is to ask the people in the team not only to figure out what, uh, what all of the ingredients in this strategy map are, but also what order should these tasks go in this year? Because then it's theirs. It's their plan. And our job at 2Y3X is just then to hold everybody's feet to the flames and make sure they're doing things to the required standards. One other thing I like about this process, you have what I consider a cadence. There's a meeting cadence, but there's also a get work done cadence. And it's a three-step process for every quarter. It starts out with research and then prototyping and then implementing. Felix, brilliant, very pragmatic, makes sense. Uh, Add to that. What have I left out there? No, I think, well, that is exactly it. And the reason it's there is because, right, I ran six companies of my own. I ran an agency group with 12 companies. I've been chairman of another dozen agencies and tech startups. I've worked with, I don't know, 35 companies, myself leading their 2Y3X journey. Um, It's very easy for me to say, I have the solution. Do this, right? And... Uh, I may or may not be right, but the, but the reality is it won't be perfect for you. And if it's not perfect for you, you're not going to do it. And if you don't do it, you're not going to hit your goals and we're not going to get paid, right? Because we we guarantee the results that, and it's, which is about going back to alignment with your client's needs. Um, I want you to feel like you own the solution. Now, One of the tasks, I'll give you an example task. One of the tasks is going to be uh, a player hiring strategy. How do you only hire superstars from now on, right? And I know exactly what the answer is. I have a crib sheet for it because we've done it uh, God knows how many times, right? But you don't know how to do it. So the research month is so that we can hand you six copies of Who the A Method for Hiring by Jeff Smart and Randy Street. And you can go off and read it and you can say, yeah, that's a bit too complicated for our business. We don't want to be doing all day interviews for the final 10 candidates, right? Which is what it's, so, you know, who the A method for hiring is at the same kind of level as, as scaling up by Vern Harnish. But if we took these principles and we applied it to our business, this is how we could make it work. Great. So that's the research uh, month done. How would you prototype this? How do you test this? Well, let's figure out a way of testing it. By which point, we as the facilitators no longer have anything to do with it. We're just there to make sure that you design something that is fit for your purpose and your culture and your company and your future, because that's the only important thing, right? So that's that's why it's structured like that. The research is so that we can we can give you some pointers and say, here are some great starting points. 
And then everything else is up to you. And by the time you get to implement, you've figured it out for yourself, for your company, for your future, and it becomes part of your company's fabric going forward. And that's what allows you to scale at speed. We always ask every guest about their favorite books. Now, before, before you jump in, every nonfiction book, I always go to the last part of the book that's included, uh, recommended books. So I already know a lot of your favorite books, but are there any other books that you just love, e- even non-business books? Um, I'm, I, I have listed all of the best books um, that, that are the most useful books that we give to our clients as kind of mandatory reading. And uh, they are amazing books. But the, my favorite books... My, my actually my favorite book uh, on that list is called Scarcity. Scarcity: Why Having So Little Means uh, So Much. And the uh, reason I love it is by Melanathan and uh, Shafir. And the reason I love it is because it's a salutary reminder that we are privileged here, and enormously privileged and we have the bandwidth to be able to think about strategic things and how we can make the world a better place and there are an awful lot of people most of the people on this planet don't have that luxury it doesn't mean that they aren't as smart if not smarter than us it doesn't mean that given our privilege they wouldn't be able to come up with better and more interesting and more revolutionary solutions to the problems that we address it it, but it's a reminder that we are privileged. And I think it's really, really important to, to remember that we have all of these amazing facilities and, and luxuries of time and money and wherewithal, and, and we, we're not struggling to put water on our table. Um, and, and it's humbling. And that's worth remembering every now and again. Which, by the way, just like you have books that you recommend to your clients, this is now a book, Scale at Speed. It's not only is I'm going to be recommending it, it's going to be one of those books where I'll buy a couple dozen and I'm going to be giving it away. It's it's that good. Again, very pragmatic, uh, simple. And again, I think you've knocked it out of the ballpark. Where can we learn more about your firm? Uh, well, 2Y3X, uh, handily enough, we have 2y3x.com. You can find out about the program, who we are, who our people are, where we are in the world, because we're uh, growing. Um, 2y3x.com will give you lots of videos and lots of masterclasses and things like that, and you can download as much as you like. The book, Scale at Speed, is available worldwide in audio and Kindle formats, ebook formats. It comes out in the US at the end of September in paperback as well. It's available now in paperback in Europe. Uh, so do buy a copy of Scale at Speed. It is the how-to manual for 2Y3X. And I really enjoy answering questions. So if anybody's got any questions about any of it, hit me up. Happy to, to talk and answer anything, any concerns or, you know, is this for me? Sometimes it's not, but sometimes it really is. Prediction. We're going to be hearing your name a lot over the next year or two and beyond, as well as 2Y3X. It's my prediction. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Um, this has been really, really enjoyable. 
You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Felix Velarde, you are awesome. Even in the post-production, I took about three pages of notes, even though we have audio to text transcription software. Again, the book is Scale at Speed, How to Triple the Size of Your Business and Build a Support Team. Highly recommend it. Easily a five-star book on my rating system. The website to learn more about this program is 2y3x.com. I enjoyed this conversation so much. I'm crossing my fingers. We can bring back Felix in the future. Guys, this is Mark Gandy with CFO Bookshelf. Please tell others about the show, and it means a lot to me that you are listening. Until next time.